0: Welcome to the Prepare to Win podcast. I'm your host Justin Oliver, here at Dane Lee. Uh, today we're going to get into a topic. Um, I posed a question to Dane in his Q and A, and then um, kind of goes along with questions I've been getting asked. But um, basically, my question to him was talking about, you know, either increasing or decreasing the amount of intensity, you know, volume, and then. Um, anaerobic, uh, high intense training within your training to increase or decrease those, the effects it has on recovery. I've been getting a lot of questions lately on, since I've been posting about, you know, I I threw up something about doing, you know, I was doing a uh, jerk off the blocks and I threw up that I was, you know, on the rings or whatever. And people didn't realize that like, yes, I've done CrossFit before. Um, yes, I've been pretty fit before and all these things. So I started getting questions about it. I started getting, um, little comments here and there, and then people asking, like, why I don't do both, which that's kind of the reason I really want to pose this question to Dane um, so me and him can talk about it a little bit too, is, um, you know, this there's, there, there, there's a lot that dives into why you can't do both. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the main reason, like, I got out of CrossFit was because when they changed up the regional um, – regional thing there where it was like used to be i think it was like the top 40 or whatever 45 went to regionals and they changed it to a super region and i just didn't see any any growth to go forward in that there were still some skills that like i was lacking a bit and you know and i was inside the top three percent in the world at the time it's ranked like right around three thousandth in the world out of like 100 and whatever fifteen thousand guys so i wasn't doing too bad um there was a handful in this region, there was about a couple guys in Ohio that could stop me out. But like, um, you know, there was even a workout where I did place like in the top 30 in the world. So yeah, I was, I was pretty fit at the time. Um, but the main reason was because, you know, when I got that little taste for like doing Olympic lifting and moving weights and when yeah. I got that little taste for like, Oh wait, I'm kind of strong at you know powerlifting for, you know, I guess CrossFit or strong in a sense. Um, and I started looking up like the Ohio records for powerlifting. Like every, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. what it was back then. is like, started looking up their high records. And I started looking up like, okay, what's like the top hundred in the country and like all these things. And, um, you know, when I started, did that little local push pull, I realized, oh shit, like, okay, I, I might have something here. So like, yeah. I saw a further transition in powerlifting. Plus at the time I was kind of burned out on, on being fit. I'd been doing that for a long time. And like, um, you know, I always wanted to be strong from a strength to mass ratio. Mm-hmm. So that was like kind of my thing. Like I always did um, lifting a bit and then I always tried to do, um, be able to do like heavy weighted dips and heavy uh, pull-ups, things like that if I could. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the re- main reason for transitioning out was that. But then also there's this effect and I found this out because there was times that I would go back and I would do, um, you know, a CrossFit workout or I would try to do some kind of intense Exercise or even have a little bit more cardio in my training. And there started to be a point where I had diminishing returns on the powerlifting side. So I, I kind of realized, like, okay, I cannot sit here and do uh, both of these. Like, it would be highly unlikely to be able to do any of the, both of these at a great level. Um, and not to say like powerlifters shouldn't be doing some sort of like interval training or a little bit of cardio. Um, It is going to help you to um, increase your work capacity. It is going to help you, you know, stay a little bit healthier, keep your heart healthy and things like that. Long function, um, you know, there's a whole plethora of things there. But um, to be great at it, I mean, you know, I like I I just told you, like there is uh, one guy I know in the world, and um, I'm sure there's others, so don't like quote me like thinking like I'm something great. But um, there's one other guy in the world that I know of, and another guy who's not too bad. Um, he's a little bit below me in powerlifting, but he's made it also to like the games on a team. Okay. So, um, but you know, there's very few people, let's put it that way, in the world that have ever been elite level in CrossFit, any sort of fitness, and elite level in powerlifting ever to do them separately let alone at the same time right you know it's very very rare um the one guy on instagram if you check him out Ian the rhinos like i think he's been to um the games and he's you know uh elite level international elite level powerlifter so like i said there's there's very few people i can do both you might think like oh i could be great at powerlifting no you're strong in your crossfit gym you're not strong in powerlifting. Yeah. So I hate to break that to you when you're, you know, squatting 500, pulling 500 and benching 350, that's crossfit strong, that's not powerlifting strong.
1: Yeah, when um, you just do the so. math and do the comparison. Yeah. Whether it's on the Ohio level, the national level, international level. Yeah. Like put your ego aside for a yeah. second and just look at numbers and yeah. no, they don't add up. Yeah. Going into it. So just from a time aspect, the amount of time that you have to put into Learning how to do the movements in CrossFit well, mm-hmm. even if you did them at a low level, there just isn't enough time in the day to devote to getting really strong in powerlifting, you know, uh, to a reputable amount, yeah, and to learn all the technique that goes yeah. into CrossFit, as far as the gymnastic skills, the Olympic weightlifting, and yeah. the powerlifting that goes into it. It's just there's not enough time in the day,
0: no. And there's there's people that's why they call them like specialists in CrossFit. It's like there's people that have came from other backgrounds that, like Matt Fraser, who's won the games multiple times, he was an Olympic lifter before. So when those Olympic lifting events come up, yes, he's really good at them. Or you take these people that were gymnasts before, when mm-hmm. those events come up, yes, they're really good at them. Um, but CrossFit, you know, they say it's about taking all these different areas of fitness and combining them into, like, one uh, superhuman. But most people that do CrossFit, like, you're at, like, um, if we had to do grades, A, B, C, D, you know? Uh, F, if you're really bad. But, like, most CrossFitters, if you take their individual scores, they're rating at, like, a C level, you know, on average. Like, maybe a B level in mm-hmm. this if they've done it before. But there's not many of them that, like, could transfer over and make a national team. Um, immediately, yeah. Immediately. There have yeah. been some, especially in weightlifting, that have CrossFit over, or cross- CrossFitted over, <laughs> <laughs> crossed over, um, and became, you know, national level, international elite lifters in both, um, or in weightlifting, powerlifting, not so much, at least I haven't heard of too many, but uh, I know there's more out there, but, um, as far as being good in both before it's, it's very rare. It's not an easy thing to do.
1: It's a similar argument like it, before CrossFit was a thing where you would say like, Oh, you can't be a distance runner mm-hmm. and a powerlifter. Yeah. And are there a handful of people who, I mean, I remember reading articles and they write articles because there's only a handful of people who do it. Yeah. Where this guy who was, I think, in the 220 class and was running a marathon. Yeah, the exception to the rule doesn't change the rule. It's that one guy. And guess what? If he had stopped powerlifting, I bet he would have been a faster runner because he's moving less mass. Yeah. He's going through it. And if he had stopped running, he might have been a po- better powerlifter. Yeah. Like just because he had a certain level of ability in both of them doesn't mean that he was maximizing both at the same yeah. time.
0: When it comes back to, you know, genetics also like, you know, for, for me and my experience, cause that's what I can speak from is like, I'm not overly genetically gifted at all. Like, you know, I've been an athlete my entire life. Yes, but I'm not some genetic freak that like, you know, can go out and you know i can run a sub six minute mile but mm-hmm. i can still squat 600 like you know what i mean that's yeah. very 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 rare for to find people that could even couple things like that or mm-hmm. make okay i can do these three things well that's why I like the iron man is like even the iron man take that element of like swimming biking running like there's people that that's hard to do mm-hmm. you know because some people can't swim and some people you know suck at the right. bike and snap but like it doesn't matter what couple of things I can remember, like back when I was in military training, it's like I would lift um, a couple times a week, usually three times a week. Mm-hmm. And I would swim, run, you know, do my uh, physical elements for, with my body weight and things like that. And it's like at that time, like strength wasn't necessarily a priority, um, but I still right. needed some. And I had to work, you know, the reps right. So we're like, I w- it was more about just building work capacity, keeping some muscle in my body, but not overbearing muscle mass because then i'm sinking on the swim Mm -hmm. you know and and then it hurts to run because my legs are absolutely dead and things like that my low back sore so it's it's a whole thing of trying to figure it all out so that kind of leads into what i was what i was talking about where someone told me like oh why don't you just do both and it's like from the recovery aspect of doing that it's not even the fact of like trying to do both Or, you know, it's in, um, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's nearly impossible. Um, Unless, again, you are a physical, genetic outlier that um, is able to do all the elements that are required in CrossFit easily, and you're just, you know, strong just because. It's very hard to do those. And from the, the, you know, it doesn't matter what you take either, like, you can't take even if i just wanted to go down the road and be great crossfitter in this gym and not Mm -hmm. you know not really compete since it is a drug tested thing and and all that like there's a lot of there's a lot of people i don't understand like you even okay even though crossfitters it's well known they all take shit i mean (laughs) we're not stupid um but it doesn't really matter what you take You know what I mean? Yeah. They, a lot of them, like the girls are running VAR and the guys are running a little bit of of VAR and prop and things like that. And EQ and you know, all these things like, and look how by definition of Olympic lifting or powerlifting, they're still not strong. And these are the fittest people in the world, Mm -hmm. but they're still not strong in a standalone sport. right So for someone to do that, like you, you, it's not to say you couldn't do both but to be great at both and to reach a high level of both Mm -hmm. is not going to happen because of those reasons of recovery, which we can kind of get into.
1: I think that's a really good point. Yeah, you can do both. Mm. It's going to be next to impossible to be great at both. Mm -hmm. So if someone makes the recommendation like, Oh, well you could do both. You could go do CrossFit and still do powerlifting. Yeah, you could, but, what is the level of crossfit that you would expect to be able to do while still being as good as you are in powerlifting it's yeah. really low and at that point why if you're saying oh do crossfit just for the conditioning aspect because you know there is a level of need for conditioning that comes into powerlifting why pick that yeah um when you could pick you know a handful of any other things that are going to be at the right level and determining that level is really important or if they said well you could be Like really good at CrossFit, well then you automatically are going to have to sacrifice how good you're going to be at powerlifting. Yeah. um, From a time aspect, and then like you said, from the recovery aspect. Yep. If you take the bad form that you see in CrossFit out of the equation, because that is its own uh, detriment to recovery.
0: But let's just say that they're have impeccable form. Right. Great form. So we just we look at that, that,
1: and if you just look at the programming aspect you're looking at a lot of short duration, high intensity interval Mm -hmm. work as you're going through. That is incredibly fatiguing for both the anaerobic system and also for the neurological system Mm -hmm. to do that because many of the movements are very technique driven. Even if you're solid in them, that technique in going through the execution of something that is or should be that precise for weightlifting um, and also for the gymnastics portion that's exhausting on the nervous system yeah if you were to carry any of that exhaustion over to power lifting even if it's not a huge muscular tax on what you're doing in the training you automatically have neurological a, a fatigue. neurological fatigue yep. that you're carrying into your training if you do that i mean hell even in the off season and you're someone who has to work on technique and that's a given like every single lifter is constantly working on technique because if I mean, we've had conversations about you where it's it's subtle things where you say, all right, this is the technique that I had to have, you know, last two years when I was squatting in the sixes. And now that I'm working on, you know, the sevens, uh, the conversation that you said you had uh, recently where it was that concept of the connection, you know, from the lats down into the hips and that idea of creating the, like, the turtle shell, like mm. you said, like that's a learning process, yeah. creating yeah. that sensation that might not from the outside, I look different, but that's still learning. And that has to take place at a certain point in the training season. Mm-hmm. And if you carry over neurological fatigue from what you're doing for conditioning, at best, that learning has a detriment and goes slower. And there's yeah. a good chance it doesn't happen at all. Yeah. And then now that's that's your lifting style for the next year going into competition.
0: And not, not to mention if you're attempting to do both near the same time like what once you get that uh nervous system fatigue now mind you like each step you take up the ladder um as far as weight let's just take a squat for example Mm -hmm. like the difference between squatting 500 and 600 on a fatigue level two different things Mm -hmm. you know for for most people i'm not saying like yeah because the difference between me squatting 500 and a 308 squatting 500 are two different things same on down in the weight classes but just just take the average person for example like each step you take up like i think and that's that's where a lot of people that are in crossfit or a lot of people that do fitness don't or or that are just like not strong yet don't understand that like Mm. when you take a six 700 pound squat it is massively fatiguing on your body. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a whole other level of fatigue that I promise you've never felt from lifting weights before. Right. Um, it is not fun. And um, you have to, you know, utilize your recovery methods to fit that. Right. So if you come in and you've been doing high intense training and you think you're going to squat, you know, 700 that day, like it's not going to happen. Even if you were trying to work, you know, lighter loads for volume or um even if you're trying to do like okay i'll just do a three by three and it's at you know 75 well you can't work in that area forever right so it becomes this thing of like having to constantly undulate everything and even then like you're probably not going to recover far enough and that's one of the main things that kind of pisses me off a little bit about crossfit is like if anybody should be experts in programming which 99 of these guys don't have a clue like if you are in CrossFit, your coach should have such an understanding of the human body and programming, because they are literally trying to fight taxing your nervous system, teaching you the lifts, getting you strong, getting you fit, get, you know, helping you to gain muscle. You know what I mean? All Mm -hmm. these things and elements come into play. Like they should be absolute experts in the human body and fitness. I mean, as much as they can be, let's say, um, because you're bringing in all those elements.
1: You know, so, But because the body is so adaptive, what you see is people make gains in all those different areas mm-hmm. when they're starting out for a portion of time. Yeah. And that false outcome, well it's not a false outcome, but that outcome falsely justifies yeah. the lack of process yeah. that they go through. <laughs> and that's a really dangerous thing mm-hmm. because uh, within, let's use powerlifting as an example still, you understand that there are periods of time where you gain strength and then you kind of plateau and you work through that and maybe plateau, isn't the right word for it. Like you're working on different things until you see that next kind of breakthrough in strength going yeah. forward. You understand that that's a process and you know how to be ready for it before you ever get there. Like mm-hmm. you can say to someone, Hey, we're going to work this way for a certain number of weeks or a certain number of months. And then once we see it, we're going to adjust what we're doing. That's what a good strength coach does. You know what the big picture looks like. But when you're pushing that programming, for lack of a better word, with CrossFit, and you're going at it as intensely as you are, it's not a plateau, it's a crash. Mm -hmm. You're going to rise, 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 and then when you do crash, you just plummet. And whether that's an injury, whether that's massive burnout, whether that comes to like suddenly everything falls apart and you can't Mm -hmm. seem to do things, there's different ways that it can express itself, but it doesn't come as suddenly not making progress. Yeah and just, like, leveling out as something you have to work through. Like you just drop off a cliff.
0: Yeah, and it takes two, three times as long to make it back. Yeah. It's the whole thing. Um, you know, especially if you get injured or you end up with some sort of adrenal issue or something like that. Um, but, you know, it, it, it and to go into different pathways, like, you know, it's not to say you couldn't be strong and you could run, like, you know distance to me like a mile isn't like a distance runner right you know what i mean but nothing's to say like oh you couldn't be decently fast in like a mile run Mm -hmm. um and still be pretty strong you know Mm -hmm. because it's not going to take that much effort and that much um i should say uh, time and practice to be able to be efficient in a a mile run um but when you start trying to add in all the other things with the high intensity, and that's that's kind of like the question I pose you. It's like if we're working at a low sustained level, mm-hmm. again, not to say this is optimal, and you got to pick and choose where you do it. But like, you could do a a lot of powerlifters go hiking. Mm-hmm. Now it's not the the greatest thing to do. Um, you know, I know a kid, he went hiking for like days. And I think he said, I forget how many miles he accumulated and, you know, up Rocky <laughs> train, all these things. And he was two weeks out from a meet. Guess what? His meat sucked. Yeah. You know, so you got to pick and choose where to do it. Mm-hmm. But like, there's nothing to say that you can't be healthy, you know, no. or do low impact cardio. Like that's, you know, it depends where you're at, what phase you're in. And remember that everything that you're doing, and I'm not talking like, God, I have to sit on the couch because I can't put any more workout put out. Yeah. But like, you just have to remember, like everything you do is going to affect your recovery somehow, some way. There is a threshold that movement and low impact will help with recovery, Mm -hmm. but there is a point when it's going to start to diminish the return on it. If you're going too far, too hard or whatever. So now if you up the intensity and you come up to maybe not quite high intense, but uh, well, let's just say high intense, but you're doing like interval training. Mm-hmm. You might want to limit that in- interval training at first. Like, it might only be a couple minutes of interval training. Yeah, you know, and you might work up to like eight to ten minutes of interval training. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for ratio aspect, let's just say, you know, one one of my been doing is I've been doing um, a thirty second row followed by a thirty second rest. Mm-hmm. You know, and During that row, I probably go about 70, 75% intensity and um, I back off from there, you know. So, you know, that's that's one example and that's to try to see how is this affecting my recovery? How is it affecting my ability to lift? Now, I'm early in my off season. I'm only, whatever, uh, math, uh, six, seven weeks into my off season. So, Mm -hmm. you know, doing that. A little bit more intensity, I, you know. I would call it it's probably hitting high-intense um, training for only a few minutes because I'm only doing like maybe four or five rounds of that at first, trying to figure it out, you mm-hmm. know. And sometimes that's all it takes, it, and then you slowly work from there. But there, you have to find where's that point of like diminishing returns. If I tried to go out there and I said, you know what, screw it, I'm gonna do a five thousand meter row today. You know, it's like, that's gonna have a completely different impact on me. So. Um.
1: All right. Because I'm a nerd and I'm a very visual person, as Justin has been talking, I'm sitting here drawing a little box here so I can do a breakdown. Um, one of the things that you and I talked about when before we started recording was the difference between the total capacity mm-hmm. for an energy system and then how much uh, potential you have within that kind of acutely. Yeah. So what I will do And you can use this for anything, but what I will do when I look at recovery programs is I'll do a breakdown of what is the neurological fatigue, the, I say muscular fatigue, but I mean Mm -hmm. it's soft tissue fatigue, Mm -hmm. and then also what is the cardiovascular fatigue. Yeah, Cardiovascular is really easy to figure out for like weightlifting and powerlifting. It's incredibly minimal, but it's also very focused into just essentially like the creatine phosphate system. Yeah, Uh, You're being explosive. It's short duration. You have typically a lot of rest in between things. Yeah. And that's like the structure of what you do. Yeah. When you look at that fatigue and then you say, what can I do from a cardiovascular standpoint to benefit that? That's why for the most part, it's going on long, steady distance, like a hike or just a walk, you know, go walk your dog, something like that. Because it's that balancing act. Yeah. First of all, what can the body sustain uh, without causing more detriment, but also what version of that is going to be beneficial for like in the moment recovery, but also long-term recovery. Yeah. So if you have a really good aerobic base, then you have better recovery in between sets, but you also have better recovery day to day Yeah. coming back from things quicker. So you pick a movement that allows for that aerobic base that Will also benefit you because it helps you to shift out of, like sympathetic parasympathetic but, um, but also doesn't cause any more strain to whatever you're using for your training. yeah right? so hopefully that part makes sense so so a I, quick quick example that would be like you
0: know if I go out there and I like again the r- I like the row because it's kind of low impact, but mm-hmm. I can make it terrible for myself. Mm-hmm. If I go out there and I blow out that that um, rower and I have deadlifts the next day, not smart. Oh, God, yeah. no. Yeah, no. just yeah, going in there, and it's like if you've ever been on the road, you'll know exactly what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Like you're using pretty much everything you use for deadlifting. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: And then if you look at each of the energy systems, so you look at creatine phosphate, you look at the anaerobic, you look at the aerobic, each of those has a recommended number of times per week that you would do it. Mm-hmm. Typically, anaerobic, you're looking at two to three times a week. Mm-hmm going through that's what the body can handle and recover from that's without looking at what you're doing or how long you're doing it at max you want two to three times because that's the recovery process aerobic you can basically go every single day but people hear that and they're like well I'm gonna go running every day no that's not what that means Mm -hmm. that means you could go for a walk safely every day as long as you're within a certain heart rate yeah once you go running I don't care how efficient you are and I don't care how fit you are you're going to be using some of that anaerobic system. Mm-hmm. Like if you suddenly go up a hill, your heart rate's gonna go up a little bit and it, everything's on a spectrum. Like you're going to be using, even if it's a small percentage of anaerobic, it's there. Which means that you don't want to be doing that type of training every single day unless you've conditioned yourself and you have a very specific goal yeah. that you're okay with the detriments of doing it yeah. in order to achieve it.
0: And you know, some people argue like, it's cuz they don't actually know and see what these people do every day. They'll argue like, "Oh, David Goggins works out every single day." Well, one watch what he's doing. Like, mm-hmm. and if you watch like the weighted movements that he will do, how do you know he's doing them every day? One, two, like a lot of things he does is for like injury prevention, like core strength, shoulder right. strength, like stability, stuff like that. He's not sitting there like hopping on the bench press six days a week. Right. You know what I mean? And and all that stuff. Um,
1: also, keep in mind, David Goggins is somebody who's built himself up over years and years. years yeah. So when you see him doing something that seems more intense from your perspective to yeah. him, that could be a deload. Yeah. You know, it's like me going out there and deadlifting, and I mean, I'm weak by comparison. So let's say I had a session where I'm doing, um, I don't know, like 350 for deadlifts. You would come out and be like, "All right, can you leave it on the bar? I need to warm up." Like, like that's yeah. your deload, yeah. Right?
0: I mean, I would start. I would start from the bar still, but but yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying.
1: But if I were to walk out and see you doing that, and I didn't know anything about you, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm a week out yeah. from a meet," I'd be like, "This guy's crazy. Like, he lifts crazy weight." Because mm-hmm. from my perspective, like, that's working weight for me, yeah. um, and so. Because yeah, like people go, don't have that perspective when looking at someone like David yeah. Goggins. It's like, oh, he does this every single day. It's like he does something every single day. Yeah. But he's really smart about knowing the intensity of what he's doing and how it plays into the bigger picture.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and the other uh, side of all this, too, uh, from you know, recovery standpoint, all the systems that he just kind of went through, um, you also, there's a way to fuel those by your diet, too, mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't understand. So um, this happens all the time where you have uh crossfares that come in there on like keto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Oh God, <laughs> we won't get down that path, but um, there is a way to fuel based on your goal and um, what, what you're doing as far as nutrition, which is going to help with your recovery. Mm-hmm. So just take that into into perspective. Like when we're talking recovery, we're talking all aspects of recovery, not just like your body and your tissues recovering, you're going to still need sleep and all that. Mm-hmm. And, and um your diet on point and you know again from that point of like going too far into high intensity you go too far into high intensity now you're disrupting sleep as well so there's a lot to it that people need to remember but um yeah go on
1: so the creatine phosphate typically you're looking at like two times a week Mm -hmm. and people hear that one and don't understand it at all yeah i'm gonna go be explosive so i'm gonna go do box jumps like that's a great choice all right it's very it's a plyometric base creatine phosphate kind of exercise how many are doing well i'll do like 30 seconds on 30 seconds off you've just ruined it Mm -hmm. that's not the end just because you picked a movement that is stereotyped as that yeah you've changed your body's reaction to it and so this happens all the time in crossfit where it's like we're going to take something explosive like olympic weightlifting and we're going to do it at a weight and a duration which completely negates that quality of it, mm-hmm. but still think that you're following the guidelines for programming on something like that. Yeah. So you're changing the fatigue that goes along with it as well. Yeah. When you look at how long you should be doing it, there are some general recommendations with that as well, but this comes back to what you are talking about, where if you have somebody who hardly ever rows, and then out of the blue, they're just like, I'm gonna go row 5,000 meters, that could destroy them like for the week and especially Mm -hmm. the day before deadlifting. But if you have somebody who rose consistently, let's say 5,000 a day, because they over time have built themselves up to do that, that could be in their wheelhouse, they could do that. And I'm not saying they're gonna have a great deadlifting day, but they're not gonna have the same detriment going into it. And just because you have a good level of fitness doesn't mean you have the same response to an activity because Mm -hmm. of that. If I'm a really good runner, and I let's say I run sub sixes, for like five miles. I'm like, yeah. cardiovascular, I'm awesome. Yeah, And I go hop on a rower, and I think, well, I'm super fit different from stimulus. running. Exactly. Yep. So, cardiovascularly, I might recover from that, mm-hmm. but now I've got a different neurological fatigue mm-hmm. due to that, and I've also got a different muscular fatigue yeah. due to that.
0: Well, it's the same as if... Um, this was the one thing that was interesting about CrossFit is you saw all these people come in from different backgrounds, mm-hmm. and you could see what they were strong at. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So, there was like runners that came in that... I mean, if there's running today, they're going to, like, ca- at least catch up on the run portion or mm-hmm. something. But they couldn't do, like, a handstand push-up to save their life, right. you know. And so it's like, um, like you just said, it, it, you can be all the endurance you want, but it doesn't mean you have the muscular endurance throughout your whole body. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of things come into play there. But um, the, uh, the other thing that I, I wanted to get into is, like, You know, when I think a lot of people don't understand, like, let's say, um, for example, like I said, like I'm starting to add in that little bit of interval training. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to add in a little bit of uh, more cardio. Let's say I was making the transition um, to being, let's say I was going to go back to being more fit and I'm just done with powerlifting, but I still want to be pretty strong. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, as that conditioning goes up and as I'm trying to get more work output over here, you know, and that's affecting my training. Uh, I think a lot of people don't understand is, okay, where do I drop off the other stuff? Because what a lot of people don't get is you can't just keep linear progressing every single thing. Like you're not going to all of a sudden just be like fit, strong and you know, all these things like it's not going to work that way. Um, So if I'm starting to do that more in, in your opinion, like, do you think the, Volume of what I'm doing should come down, as far as weight, uh, weight training, or should it be the intensity of it all to come down?
1: There, there are situations where both are applicable, and I'm just kind of going through the different scenarios yeah. in my head as you ask it. So uh, I know that
0: matters. Don't think of like there's no phase, there's no not. I'm okay. making a complete transition out.
1: Um, are you saying still like switching over to CrossFit?
0: Let, let's just say, like, I was just n- or not crossing per se, but more conditioning based programming.
1: Um, I would definitely drop the intensity mm-hmm. because, automatically, for those first couple of weeks going into the conditioning, you're again talking about different stimulus. Yeah, you're it doesn't matter if you have kind of a background in it, it's going to be a shock to your system, and the nervous system is going to need some time to yep. adapt to what you're doing to create yep. some efficiency. Um, I would say you want to drop the volume with it as well but it would depend on kind of like what you're starting off with as your capacity mm-hmm. for the conditioning and like i want what the overall uh, goals uh, are and,
0: and, and some things would probably drop off like i wouldn't want to still be doing a large volume of deadlifts if i'm doing a lot of running and rowing right and, you know and things like that
1: you'd have certain areas no. that are specific yeah. drops in volume just for practical application mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah, and the, the reason I, I pose that question is because I've seen this online more than once where people start making a transition into more cardio based stuff or they're going through a cut. So they're adding in cardio and things, mm-hmm. but they'll throw in like a random like, oh, I worked up to an RP, you know, 10 today. Like oh, they'll it. throw in like a one rep um, max not understanding that you could keep your uh, little bit of volume in there at a moderate intensity and still keep some strength mm-hmm. while you're going through that. And it's going to be less taxing on your entire body. So guess what? You're going to recover quicker. You're going to have quicker adaptations. Yeah. Um, but then like, I promise you're, cause you'll see it like people, it's almost like people get scared. Like, oh, I got to make sure I can still hit this weight, you know, and one rep this. Yeah. And it's like, you're, you're wasting fatigue time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does time? Yeah. yeah, You're wasting the amount of time that you're fatigued. Let's mm-hmm. Put it that way too. Like you're wasting that time that you could be recovering, that you could be getting better, and things because your body's in this fatigue state. So guess what? When you go back to your training of running, cutting, you know, throughout whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. it's gonna. You're not gonna get as much out of that because you fatigued yourself from doing a dumb one rep for your ego. Right. You know. So.
1: The time aspect is really important, and I don't even mean in reference to what you were saying earlier where you just don't have enough time in the day. Mm. Conditioning is one of those things that happens so much faster than strength. Strength takes a ton of time. Like yeah, you can get stronger in a short period of time. Yeah you can get conditioned so much faster. Yeah.
0: We did a, a test on that in college where it was like time to achieve our VO2 max or something like mm-hmm. that. And we did, I think we did a 60 day split on it where we tested VO2 mm-hmm. and then we were supposed to like, you know, it was basically like who wanted to be a subject person, yeah. you know, but they wanted you to at least attempt to increase your cardiac capacity and your your output capacity Um, in those 60 days Mm -hmm. and then we would retest and the people that like legit tried um, me and another guy you know because at at that time I was doing CrossFit anyway so I was like fuck yeah I'll do it whatever so um, me and another guy had pretty good jumps in our in our VO2 over that 60 days Um, now mind you like I did ramp things up a little bit but the other guy they asked him what he did and um, like the guy was like on a plethora of things like he was a mixed martial artist uh but he also trained like iron man or something so it's like good lord yeah so his whole like day was pretty much uh work capacity and pushing his his revving up the engine almost Mm -hmm. constantly you know so um he not only had that long aspect but he had that short burst aspect where he could get a rapid heart rate and maintain it for I mean, it's, a, you know, like MMA wrestlers, like things oh, like yeah. that. It's like rapid heart rate for a short duration of time. Um, but anyway, I forget the exact time. Um, I'm not going to remember the studies on it that it takes to achieve, like typically get to like a maximal VO2. But it's weird because you can achieve and lose it quicker than, but stre- but then strength takes... Longer to achieve the strength, mm-hmm. and you can maintain it longer. Yeah, which is like it, it's crazy to think about. You know what I mean? How the body works that way,
1: but you would think if, with all the effort it takes to achieve strength, that because the I said, the body's really lazy. Mm-hmm. Like if it doesn't have to exert energy to maintain something, it's not going to. That's yeah. why it's constant process of you know make sure that you lift a certain number of times a week and pushing that stimulus. out. Yeah. So you would think. I just did a shit ton of work over these months or years to get this strength. The body would be like, thank God we don't have to preserve this anymore. Get rid of it. But it doesn't like it lasts for a while.
0: that's why I hate when I see people like haven't touched this weight in three weeks. Glad I can still do it. Like, (laughs) wait, what? (laughs) Like, sure. If you haven't lifted or maybe you took a break, like look at all the things that probably changed. Like, you know, if you got busy or went on vacation or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, just didn't work out for a couple of weeks, like your diet probably changed, your sleep probably changed, you know, mm-hmm. you all these variables. But not only that, like the um, the motor patterns, the neurological pathways, all that shit is just like almost shut off at that point. And mm-hmm. then guess what? If they, if they really do it, two, three weeks later, they're going to be able to just keep maintaining that same weight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're, unless you've went through a peak and you've came off of your peak – and the weights do come way down. Like, I couldn't go out right now and hit my one rep. Yeah. It just isn't going to happen. You right. know what I mean? For where I'm at. But, like, th- that's what it always bugs me when I see people like, haven't worked out in like two weeks. <laughs> glad I could still hit this weight or whatever. It's like, no shit, you could still hit that weight. It's <laughs> half time that two weeks probably helped your body. Recover, yeah, probably. So, yeah.
1: So um, the VO2 max, you'll see uh, drops in that after like four days mm-hmm. because it well, for people who are highly conditioned, you'll see changes in it after like four days of coming yeah. away from something, but especially for the people who are very conditioned, yeah. um, like endurance runners, where if they stop training and in roughly four days, it'll oh. start to come down because it, it's taxing yeah. to I'm, create those resources I, for the body.
0: Can can remember, I think they said strength was typically uh, seven or eight days, might have been you know, some, some push like nine or 10, mm-hmm. which is like... Yes and no. Like, it, I think it depends what level you're at, what yeah. you're doing, what your recovery calls for. Anyway, because for some people, like a seven or eight day break is probably going to make you come back stronger. Mm-hmm. You know. So,
1: what was the workout um, that you did? Or it's yeah, like that, If you did high intensity deadlifts, mm-hmm. and you take seven days off, you're probably going to feel pretty good after seven days. Versus yeah. thinking, oh, I got weaker because I. You know, yeah. took a full week off. Yeah. like that could be exactly what's called for.
0: Yeah, and I've seen that too. And uh, I, I'm, I, I'm guilty of it during peaks. Um, I've you know back when I first started powerlifting, I peaked a little weird. But like, well, not as weird as this. But like, I, I literally saw a guy <laughs> the other day, and it was like he increased his deadlift. Now mind you, like he's approaching a 600 pound deadlift, and I saw he hit a new PR of like 570 or something like that or 560 i think it was 570 and it's like each week he was adding like five or ten pounds every single this went on for like six weeks i saw in his thing like i'm like dude first of all one is funny because like he missed it i think it was like 580 he misses he's like oh, i'll be back next week to try it again like bro take two weeks like take two weeks off or you know two weeks uh and undulate it back and you'll probably come back and, and destroy that deadlift mm-hmm. you know or give it another block like give it another four to eight weeks even and that weight's probably gonna get destroyed as long as you do everything right mm-hmm. but it's like you'll see as people constantly increase their weight every single week even if it's grindy and it's like you're not just gonna come back next week and hit it you're probably gonna come back next week and get injured yeah you know so unless you're uh this idiot in powerlifting, his name's uh I think it's like Evan Cardin or something like that. He's a complete moron. He just deadlifts with atrocious form every single week heavy. And what's crazy is like, I mean, he's in straps and shit like that, but it's like, it's like his deadlift is um, strong, but like he has no fucking respect for the piloting community because he's a fuck, but you know, <laughs> he's just one of those people that's been lucky enough to somehow not snap their back. We don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> like he, I'd love for someone to do studies on his body and figure out like, how have you not completely torn everything?
1: Those are the ones that are dangerous in my mind because people will look at that as the outlier mm-hmm. and say, see, that's why you yeah. don't have to have good form. That's yeah. why you don't have to have like, or, flat back or something. Well, same like
0: with that. the program inside of it. There's people that watch these guys that do squat bench deadlift every day. Those are outliers that can do that. Yeah. The, that and that's the way they work out and they're strong. Yeah. Like, The amount of fatigue from those barbell movements and doing them every day, like that, those are outliers, and people don't realize that. And these USAPL boys think like that's how you have to work out, and that's why ninety percent of you are
1: weak. Like like that is the exception to the rule. They are strong despite that, not because of it. Yeah, yeah. I love talking about like the the recovery aspect of conditioning. So I, if I end up nerding out, I apologize, but. The thing that I want people to understand is it's always just buckets in balance. You got to figure out if you think the other way. I like to think about it is also think of it like currency, like the finances of your recovery. Where you say if you have a thousand dollars for the week, well, powerlifting takes let's say eight hundred dollars of that and puts it into the you know the creatine phosphate and the neurological aspect that you have to recover from you have $200 left how can you maximize what you buy with that do you really want to spend that 200 on assuming that you do things correctly not for that situation but in any situation because you're only supposed to do the anaerobic work like two to three times a week and people can get away with more if like that's their specialty Like, like track runners like you can maybe push that to four times, but like even that's not necessary or like soccer players where you're going to be moving into that uh, with practices. Do you want to take that and use it essentially waste it Mm -hmm. on two interval sessions for the week when that isn't going to help you with that conditional or uh, the foundational aerobic base. And it's also not going to help you from a uh, acute day to day standpoint on recovery, the way that going for a walk would where uh, you could go on a walk basically every single day, as long as it was at the right duration and right intensity. And it'll only cost you 50 bucks. Yeah. And it'll actually put money back in your pocket because of how it helps you recover from it. So thinking of it as like an investment Mm -hmm. in the right things and how you're spending what you have. Once you look at what the demands are for your sport, you can see what little you have left and like essentially it becomes what's the biggest bang for your buck. You know, literally, at mm. that point. No. Those details, man. I I love talking about those because people they get them wrong all yeah. the time.
0: Yeah, it's um, you know, and I, it's unfortunate. Like the the a lot of this isn't. It's out there, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of people don't take the time to look it up. And uh, you know, I hate to keep knocking your CrossFit gym, but they're not going to tell you this stuff, and they're not they're not going to know it usually either. Mm. There's uh, a few. You know what I mean, but you know I can't say that everybody's programming is just got awful. But there's a lot of flaws and a lot of it. So and, you know, and that's why we see like there's people that if you're going on five, six years and you haven't gotten dramatically stronger or fitter, yeah, you, know, you might <laughs> something's off there. So, yeah. Do we have any other questions that are yeah uh, based around that, or do we want to get into some other questions? Here? Oh, uh,
1: I didn't have any more that were based around that. Mm. Uh, I did have some other questions that came in though.
0: All right, let's go ahead and answer one or two.
1: Okay, uh, first question came in. What supplements are you taking, mm. whether it uh, was you know before bed, in the morning, stimulants? And I'm going to put a caveat on this one and mm. just say let's not do dosages. Okay. Let's not do like reasons behind it because I think it would be a very long conversation with every single one of them.
0: 5,000 grams of Tren, just that. <laughs> see if you don't die. Um, as far as what I take, and you said we're not explaining why or anything like that. You know, I no, of, I
1: mean we can get into it at a later. Um, time.
0: You can look these up. I mean, science is pretty clear on why I would take them. Um, there's uh, tutka, which is a natural bioacid, uh, especially for people with Crohn's. We've noticed that it does help, uh, especially if you have any kind of lower uh, digestive problems. Um, I take a probiotic ten, um, uh, vitamin uh, D three. Um,
1: Super K um, That The Super K for the vitamin is that do you know if that's K2 or K3 K2 K2 yeah
0: and then I, I used to take there's this uh, supplement by Subject Zero that's uh, Equilibrium they have a, oh. a whole they have a whole list of things that are in there and it's, it's got actually a lot of those, but then it has a couple other things. So, um, and then I take a fish oil from, uh, SFH. It's got a thousand IU of D three in it as well. So, uh, because we're in a low light region and because I've gotten my blood work back before that, my vitamin D levels were low. Um, I've taken vitamin D at, uh, about 5,000 IU, uh, in supplementing, mm-hmm. uh, four to 5,000 IU per day for well over a year now. So,
1: I think it's an important note. You said you did blood work. You kind of know where you stand yeah. with some of these.
0: Yeah, my vi- yeah. my level was at eighteen. Um, it's low. Yeah, well, the 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 doctor said she's seen construction workers that are out in the summer with vitamin D levels of twelve. So, just because just, you think you get sun, we're still we're in a low light region. We don't get it half of the year. So, and it's still not enough half the time uh, when we are getting sun. So, and doesn't matter. Milk only has about four hundred IU. If you even uh, ingest all that. So, um, and there's different pathways of D that mm-hmm. if one doesn't work, they can do others and all that.
1: That D three is important too. There yeah. are some milks that get fortified. Uh, like I drink almond milk mm-hmm. lactose tolerant, and there are some where they fortify it with vitamin D, yeah. but you look and it's D two, which is not yeah. as readily absorbed yeah. and as useful. So things like that,
0: um, for pre-workout, uh, I do either, uh, a hooligan, uh, which is, you know, just look up hooligan. It's, it's very, it's, it's not bad. It's more for like if I really want more of a caffeine burst because um, I do have a lot of caffeine in there. Mm-hmm. And then it's got a little bit of creatine in it and stuff. And then Live Large pre-workout that I take. It's got a nootropic and uh, creatine in it. Again, we're not going to get too far into these because of there's a lot in th- yep. that involves all that. But um, then for sleep, I do uh, 400 milligrams magnesium. And then um, what is it? I think it's five. Five or six. I if it's five or six, it comes out to uh, milligrams of melatonin. Okay. So I think it's five.
1: I think that's one of the. Uh, the, the regular, it's like three, five, ten is the typical. Yeah, and if goes. you take just,
0: too much melatonin, it actually has a reverse effect. So don't. Usually, girls take th- usually two to three, and guys take around five. Generally, um don't quote me on how much you should take, but those are the um the Ollie gummies that. I've recommend to a lot of people, too. Mm-hmm. They come in a little purple container. Just Google them. They're amazing. It's the best melatonin I've
1: ever taken. So, um, Fun story about that real quick. I wasted probably $50 worth of gummies because I bought them, left them in the car on a summer day. Oh, that's fun. I uh, completely forgot about the fact that I had stuff in there and went to take them out when I got home, and it was one big gummy <laughs> inside. <laughs> just completely melted all together. Just eat it all. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I wonder if I can like scoop this out and cut it up into pieces. I couldn't even get it out of the jar yeah. it was destroyed. So
0: <laughs> trying to think, uh, like I have a morning routine, so I'm just popping my, mm-hmm. p- popping my pills and yeah, I think that's it. Like, um, you know, as far as if I was going to recommend things, that's, that's so individual based too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's based on your own individual needs. So as far as me, that's what I, I've been taking. Okay. So
1: um, I have, a very long list that cycles from month to month just because I like to go back and forth with them. Um, The first thing that I do in the morning is I have a digestive enzyme that I take, and a probiotic I take, Uh, also uh, taurine, and then uh, I take it with a uh, kombucha Mm. because I have terrible digestion, Mm. so anything that I can do to help out with that. And then research that I've read says that you should have some kind of prebiotic with the probiotic so uh i take that on an empty stomach i wait like 20 minutes or so and then i just have this like inulin prebiotic that i mix into a drink and take that um i'll take creatine uh, first thing in the morning just so i have it done and over with Mm -hmm. uh i do a this is gonna sound bad but i take a pre-workout first thing in the morning when i wake up because it has yeah i'm not addicted it has about 100 milligrams of caffeine, but it's one of the few pre workout It's a live large one mm-hmm. that has DMAA. Yeah. Uh, so I have ADD. Productivity. Yeah. Got to get moving. Um, so I have ADD, and it's been very difficult trying to get medication for it. Mm-hmm. The last several years, it's been you know one hurdle after another trying to get help. Yeah. Well, DMAA is in the same family of pharmacology as amphetamines in particular Adderall so I've noticed that if I do a low dose of it I'm basically Mm self-medicating in replacement for that Um, so I'll do that Mm -hmm. first thing in the morning too now
0: and not to cut you off but I will say that live large the first couple times I took it I was working out in the gym answering my emails on social media talking to people like I was all over the place um it is potent yeah it will it will get you moving you it'll get you thinking
1: it's and I do a half dose. So,
0: yeah, I, yeah. I I had to back off the dose cause I, I, my brain, when it shut off at yeah. night, I was thinking too much and running too much.
1: I will not take that after the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do it in the morning because I literally don't function until yeah. medication and that starts kicking in. But if I were to take it later in the day, once things have been going, same thing, like you just can't turn yeah. the brain off. Yep. So it is in the morning only then once I've eaten, uh, there is, let's just go down the list in my mind, um, I take CoQ10, there is a vitamin B supplement that I do, I try to make sure, well, I don't try, I do, I make sure I get the methylated form of it, I've done blood work that says that I don't process vitamin B mm-hmm. unless it's methylated, so there's a form that I get, just buy that on Amazon. I take echinacea, chlorella and spirulina, ashwagandha, because I have anxiety. We'll throw that in there. It could be the fact that I take pre-workout first thing in the morning. Yeah. Um, there's uh, glutathione, which is helpful for liver function. There's black seed oil, which tastes awful. It, it literally smells and tastes like motor oil. Not that I've ever eaten motor oil, but I yeah. imagine. Um, so that one's interesting to try and choke down. I tend to sleep better at night. Even if I take it in the morning, it, yeah. it's not a sedative by any means but it is very helpful uh, for overall sleep quality. I've noticed there's, uh, glucosamine chondroitin MSM Mm. for joints. I mean, with gymnastics, it kind of takes a beating and with massage that seems to help out for joint function. Ginseng, take that one. Uh, and Hooperzine, those are two nootropics Mm. that I really like Hooperzine in particular is really nice. I know there's more and I'm kind of blanking on it yeah so if I think of more as we're going through yeah but that'll give you an idea the nighttime stack is very straightforward I do theanine the CoQ10 again uh, the ashwagandha mm-hmm. uh, I take melatonin um, for a long time I didn't take melatonin because mm-hmm. I didn't I thought I would become reliant on the creation of it just exogenously yep. and then I read that there's a whole host of benefits yep. outside of uh, you know falling asleep and being on that sleep schedule and I was like well, shit. I have it, let me start taking it, and I've noticed that, yeah, I sleep better. Um, But yeah, the nighttime stack is really small, and almost everything happens in the morning Yeah, I'm going through.
0: It's also important to note, like, supplementing is supplementing your diet, so diet is the first thing, Mm -hmm. and then you supplement beyond that with what you need as an individual, Um, so that's why it's important sometimes to get blood work done, find Mm -hmm. what you need. But your diet comes first, and then supplements come after. You'll see people like, oh, uh, (laughs) I'll just take this multivitamin. I don't need to eat vegetables or fruit. Like, oh, okay.
1: Yeah. that. (laughs) So if you're going to supplement, make sure that you're supplementing with things that you cannot get from the diet or somehow aren't able to get. Yeah, like
0: I wasn't getting my vitamin D clearly from my diet, even though I'm, you know milk is a staple cheese all that it did not matter oh yeah vitamin G 3 so, i take that yeah. i completely forgot yeah so um i think that's about all we got mm-hmm. uh for today we'll be releasing the podcast of jordan tomorrow that's right yeah so uh if you're hearing this then you should go back and listen to that one if you haven't listened to it
1: so, it's a long one we're putting out yeah. the entire thing yep. about an hour 40 longer than we normally do yeah. so if you haven't finished it Go back and finish it. Yeah.
0: A lot of good Q&A at the end. So, Mm -hmm. all right. Well, that'll be that. And we'll see you guys later.
1: Have a good one.